Elvis, 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 Hello and welcome to Elvis Has Left the Movies, a podcast dedicated to the cinematic legacy of Mr. Elvis Aaron Presley. Journeying through all 31 of his feature films, on top of the movie talk, we'll also be exploring the bigger picture as far as the culture of these times as seen through a present day lens. It's the same spiel I do every week, <laughs> and we're doing it again. <laughs> Maybe we'll write a different one next time. Maybe I'll write something. Sure. Just whip it up. But who are we? We got to say that at least. Right. I'm Matt, and I'm joined as always by Morgan. I'm Morgan, and I'm joined as always by Matt. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I like Elvis, and Matt likes Elvis, and despite the fact that we seem to generally dislike his movies, we're still a-okay with Elvis. Hey, we're getting there. This is movie number nine. Yeah. So we're almost a third of the way through. Yes. Wow. When you say it like that, your soul really does start to tremble beneath the weight of all the Elvis movies you haven't seen yet. <laughs> we committed We committed to this. We did. And I think that was a bad decision. <laughs> Too late now. It's not that bad. Because there's something like really comforting, like committing to watching all Elvis movies. When the world is like burning outside, you can be like, well, let's go see Elvis misbehave and say culturally insensitive things on the television. Why don't we? Yes. Yeah, it's a good time to be alive, to be able to reflect. Imagine if we were doing this, but Elvis hadn't finished all his movies yet. Like, he was still alive today, and we were only, like, a tenth of the way through his discography. Personally, it's a good thing that he died <laughs> when he did. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Chase that dream, wild in the what? What chase that? We're talking about 1962's <laughs> "Follow That Dream." Follow that dream. Uh, Follow that dream is a pretty dumb movie about a couple of bums who pitch up a tent on the side of the road and yes. continue to live there despite the fact that the government is really sour about it. There's no more soft, sensitive like, oh, can Elvis act and can we talk about actual things in society and whatever. There's no more of that. It's just Elvis and his dad and his hot sister who isn't actually related to him and their merry band of shit kids and i don't know it's about them literally like they're on like all types of social assistance and shit and like collecting a bunch of paychecks whenever and they're just like well, I don't know. we're just gonna live here now i think the concept of the story is that they're driving down a road they're not even supposed to be driving down and they run out of gas and then they're just like well let's just hang around here and not do anything about it mm-hmm but I will say, I really like Elvis's character in this movie. I was going to bring this up. Yeah, he's like this dumb, bumbling, like, idiot who's like, oh, I didn't mean to punch that guy out. And oh, I didn't know that you could really, like, uh, why are these fools with their guns so drunk and trying to shoot us? And I don't understand why. And it's, I think he maintains it really well throughout the whole film. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of fun with that. I wrote in my notes that this is the movie where Elvis goes full himbo. Yeah, full himbo. He's a himbo icon. And it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. So if you can put up with the, you know, the Elvisness of the dumbass goddamn movie that it is and just watch Elvis be a himbo, then it's a really fun movie. Mm -hmm. This is the first movie where they say the word sex, just so you guys know. Yes, even though I guess we'll, I was going to get to this later, but I guess we'll just jump in now because like in the IMDb trivia, as part of my like noteworthy facts, 
they posit that the tone of the movie is kind of like the closest so far to not being a regular teeny bopper movie that's appealing to like his regular fans like that but it's more like a broader like family picture even though there's some weird content in it yeah i definitely get that sense yeah tonally wise it's a bit of a strange movie because Elvis is like, what do you know about sex? And it's like, whoa, Elvis. Yeah. Like, are you a romping big himbo flick? Or like, what? You know, I don't get it. Right. It seems to be confused, which makes sense. Because nobody in that movie seems to understand what is happening. Yeah, here's the synopsis. Go for it. And then I'll say, from there, it's like, Okay, so it says a family of ragtag vagabonds set up a makeshift home on a Florida beach after becoming marooned there, prompting an uptight local bureaucrat to attempt to evict them. And you think, okay, that makes sense. That's the plot. But the uptight bureaucrat, he's there at the beginning, and he's all like, oh, you... And then he kind of like leaves for a long period. And then there's this whole plot of like these gangsters. Oh, yeah. And this makeshift mobile gambling establishment that is set up on the same beach. And then they become like the antagonists. Yeah. Bada boom. Hey, I'm Nikki. I run the local gangsters. Bada bing. Bada boom. It's like, oh, Jesus. You know, what are you trying to be movie? Right. But overall, like I looked at this and I was always like, I could definitely, I wouldn't be surprised if this had been one of those 60s Disney movies, the live action Disney movies from the 60s, because it has that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. And that it was like just really broad kooky characters and just like a weird sense well here's let's let's talk about where this came from yeah because this is actually another adaptation oh my god yes it was based off of a, a satirical novel so that's why it's like this ah a novel called pioneer go home by richard p powell richard p powell yes i can't remember if he has other big claims to fame pretty sure he does because from the <laughs> the amazon book preview I was just checking the book it was based off of. And yeah, the opening is very much like it says, none of this would have happened if Pop had minded what that sign told him. The sign was on a barrier across a new road that angled off the one we was driving on and it said positively closed to the public. And like, so it's a pretty, as far as from the preview I could read, it seems like a pretty accurate adaptation of this weird, goofy, like satire about, you know, the common folk against the government or whatever, but like, and living off the grid or right. some shenanigans like that, except they added a bunch of musical numbers. Yeah, it looks like he did like quite a few books, but all of them look maybe kind of lame. Yes, this guy's... There's no Pulitzers here, you know. There's something about Elvis movies and they like, they pick shit to make movies out of that is just as dumb and stupid and pointless as the movie itself. And they're like, let's just bring this up to our level via the film medium. Yeah. It's bizarre, you know, like they could choose anything to make movies out of, but they're like, no, I want to make movies out of this shit, dumbass book that nobody really reads or cares about. Well, you say that now, it might have been uh, forgotten to time, but at the time, the book was rather successful. Well, yeah, I have a feeling that these books and a lot of these books that, that were made into these movies were popular to a really specific fan base that Elvis movies are also very popular too. I guess. Like I'm thinking yeah. like Kentucky young adults and farmers who are like, yeah, the world is as complex as black and white. Like they can't see farther. I'm be- maybe I'm being a little too mean. You know, you know, maybe too mean, but like I don't know. Morgan being too mean? I'm just I saying, don't man, think so. It strikes me as too coincidental that these books are probably very dull and boring and straightforward and like ooh 
right is wrong and wrong is right. What a wacky world we live in. And then find out that Elvis is like, I'm going to make a movie about this. Or rather his boss is going to be like, I'm going to make a movie about this. Like they, they seem to really be good at picking their, you know, their shit. They're picking their, picking their shit. Picking their shit. Bunch of shit pickers. <laughs> uh, what do we want to, oh, do we, do we want to talk about his character name? It's a doozy. Yes. Toby. Toby Quimper. Toby Quimper. Uh, I'm going to put that on uh, fifth place. Yeah. Do you actually have the ranking like in front of you? No. Okay. <laughs> the last time we did this, we also like missed, we forgot a, a name. Because the fans are quivering in their boots to know which Elvis character's name is most likely to be Elvis's name if it were not Elvis. <laughs> That's yes. It's the question on everybody's mind. How will they know if we don't make them a list? Just like they're also always saying, how do they go this long without talking about the alternate titles for this movie? <laughs> well, don't worry. Oof, we didn't forget. <laughs> because, of course, it was based off a book. So the first title for it was the book's title, Pioneer Go Home. Uh, then it was also they considered using It's a Beautiful Life, which would have been weird. Yeah. To have a movie called like so close to being like It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe that's probably why I didn't go there. Yeah. And then uh, Here Come the Quimpers was going to be another title. Well. Which gives me like a Christmas of the Cranks vibes or something. Because there's something about like Quimper. It's just like a classic, like this is some goofy book family name. Yeah. Quimper. All them Quimpers doing their kooky business. Bizarre. I hate it. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad they went with Follow That Dream. Yes. Do we want to talk about the songs? Uh, Yeah. So none of the songs are written by Elvis in this movie he didn't actually write as many songs i think as people assume he did yeah as far as his discography goes but this film also like it doesn't have any elvis hits it doesn't have any elvis tracks at all no it's just a bunch of songs written by some dudes and they're like all right elvis give us a little song and dance and he's like all right so that's my way of saying that the songs in this movie are dumb and bad and stupid there's only five of them it's fine yeah it doesn't overstay its welcome there's none yeah I was going to say there's none I could cut, but I mean, you could. If you want to watch a movie where Elvis sings five songs that he hasn't written and are therefore shitty songs, then by all means, pull up a chair and watch this fucking movie because alongside it being a stupid piece of dumbass stupid, it's also shit to listen to. <laughs> Maybe I think I'm being a little catty with this movie today. I just woke up from a nap and... That's fair. I'm like, I'm really excited to shit on this. <laughs> Literally, before we pressed the record, I was like, what did you think? And you're just like, it was all right. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> But now that soured real quick into this thing is like a pile of garbage. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst. It's just like, God, you know, it's just when you sit down and like, you know, when you finish taking a poop and you look at your poop and you're like, holy crap, I didn't know it was going to be like that. I didn't know that's what it was going to look like, you know? And then you're like, well, I guess it's time to flush it down the toilet. And you're like, holy Jesus, though. You know, like, that's how I feel about this movie where I'm like, you know, I took a, the, the, the director and the producer of this movie took a big dump and left it in the toilet for me to find. And it's not a bad dump. It's not the worst shit I've ever seen. But it's like, dude, I didn't really think I needed to see this. <laughs> There's a few toilet jokes in this movie. Oh, really? There's a recurring gag. Well, you know, because once they've set up their home, the dad goes to the dump and finds cheap lumber. And he also finds a John. He's like, oh, we got ourselves a toilet. Yeah. And then there's a recurring gag that keeps happening where the water pressure is too much and it explodes. It explodes, yeah. And then they get soaked when they go inside the John. Yeah. And that's a Twilight reference? No, toilet. 
toilet. Oh, toilet. Toilet reference. I was all excited. I was like, oh, man, we're going to talk about Twilight? Like, damn, that's so cool. How did they sneak that in? I totally missed that. <laughs> no, it was just more shit. How did they see into the future about <laughs> yeah. this franchise that didn't exist yet? <laughs> yeah, so other things about this movie? Well, wait, let me list the songs. Oh, right, yeah. Let's talk about the songs. Even though we were disparaging of the songs, but let's talk about them real quick. There's What a Wonderful Life, which is where but that... But not, not the What a Wonderful Life, right? No. Well, no, you're thinking of What a Wonderful World. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. right, 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 right. Louis Armstrong. Right. 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 It's hot out here, folks. We're, we're, we're probably going to sound sweating. very loopy. Well, it, Morgan just came back from a nap. I, it's it's a scorcher over here where I'm recording. It was a hot nap. My eyeballs hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt didn't like that when I said that. His eyebrow did a little twitch. He, he was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit that part out. <laughs> I'm mentally cataloging the whole time. I'm like, what can we afford to lose to keep this yeah. on a, a nice trim? Uh, 50 some minutes i think this is going to be our weird episode well that's how we'll market this episode things get weird that might be how it is from now on though now that we're settling into like every movie is going to be a weird mostly formulaic thing yeah i think so and like the way stuff is weird is so strange like if you have the opportunity to watch any of these movies with another person that makes it a lot more fun because there were so many times watching movies where i was like if there's somebody over here i would just turn to them and say really and then uh, you would get like a whole laughing fit Mm -hmm. because it's just bizarre yeah elvis movies make good like party drinking movies just have in the background oh absolutely oh my god oh my god i gotta do that for my next party (laughs) just put elvis on the background every time he sings or wiggles around take a drink every time he says something absolutely fucking stupid take a drink and you'd be wasted by the end of the movie uh We're going to get through these songs. There's What a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I'm Not the Marion Kind. Oh, yeah. Sound Advice, Follow That Dream, and then Angel. Dumb. Stupid. They're all stupid. So I believe this is the first movie distributed through United Artists. Yes. So once again, we got... Well, it's a new studio that's distributing an Elvis movie. Wait, hold on. I'm confused. Because it's MGM. No. What? This is a United Artists production. What? But they played the MGM. They played the lion and he went, rawr. Did you imagine that? I did not imagine that. I remember really, I very specifically remember sitting down, turning this movie on and being like, oh, it's another MGM. Matt will be happy that I knew that because I never know which studio has made which movies. (laughs) We gotta, you know, we gotta pump the brakes now. I gotta like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's the answer. All right. MGM acquired United Artists in 81, but at the time of this movie coming out, Uh, they were still an independent corporation. We're both right. Yay. The best kind of right. Yay. Technicality. (laughs) All right. So it's made by a studio. This is the first of four movies that United Artists does. Actually, next week's Kid Galahad is also a United Artists movie. Nice. Sweet. Oh, I'm so excited to watch Kid Galahad. I am looking forward to that too. Yeah. It's not very good, but it's... I just love it so much. But there'll be fun, interesting things to say, as there always are. Yeah. This came out April 11th, 1962. And this came to my mind the other day, where I want to give a bigger overview of the year itself in film. Because this 1962 is a new year of Elvis movies. Right. Last movie we did was the 61 film. So we're now in 1962. 
And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Matt, this is just an excuse for you to say a bunch more movie titles. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) Oh, Matt. He never changes. All he wants to do is talk about movies. I know. I can't help it. So here's the April 1962, which is the month this movie came out. Yep. was also the month that Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear premiered with Gregory Peck. Ooh. That same month, their movie The Magic Sword came out, which I will get to when we talk about the co-stars. Gregory Peck is the guy that played Atticus Finch, right? Yeah. He's so handsome. (laughs) What I like about Gregory Peck is that he isn't all up in front of your business. You know, he's like, Jane, bring me my stopwatch and... Get me a neat, mm-hmm. old-fashioned, and the law is more important than racism. But he doesn't actually think that, because, spoiler alert, Atticus Finch uh, was actually a big fucking racist, uh, but was just the product of his system and had to... Anyway, the... I'm You're talking about the prequel the book, is, which was technically yeah. written before the published book, and then... Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go, s- go set a watchman. Yeah. And everybody was really upset, and they were like, you ruined Atticus Finch! And it's like, bro... I don't know. I didn't read it, so... Neither did I. <laughs> but, uh, hey, guess what? To Kill a Mockingbird also came out in 1962. Holy shit! Can you believe it? It was one of the top grossing films of that year. Damn. It was an amazing film. It is. And you know what else is an amazing film that we've already mentioned before on this podcast? Lawrence of Arabia also came out in 1962. Damn. Anything else cool happened in 1962? Dr. No came out, and so the James Bond franchise began. Oh. Yeah, that's the thing about Elvis movies, is that they exist in their own weird little bubble universe. Meanwhile, in the greater film sphere, there's all this stuff happening culturally. Yeah, actual movies being made. Yes, big, big movies. <laughs> uh, actually, the top grossing film of the entire year was The Longest Day, which we brought up in our Flaming Star episode because Steve Forrest, who played oh. the brother Clint, is in that. Then again, that movie is like gigantic and there's like a billion people in that. It's a big war drama. Oh, I see. All right, uh, let's move on. Right. What's next, Matt? Uh... We did the songs, we did the relevant movies, we even did the, the double titles of the double movie of the movie that has two titles because they wanted to name it something else. Now we're moving on. What are we going to talk about? The actors? The actresses? Can we talk about... Um, where the fuck was this movie filmed? Florida. All right, now that we got that out of the way. I mean, there's not much else to say. It was all filmed in Florida. It is set in Florida. So. The movie's filmed in Florida? Good to know. <laughs> I was just really confused because they were like, on a riverbed but they were like oh you can't drink the water because it's salt water and i was like where the hell are you that you can get salt water in a river i well i don't know i don't think it was a river i think they did say so i don't know what they were saying actually now i think about it all right we, we got to get to the bottom of the mystery of the water <laughs> and follow that dream no 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 um, forget about it so who is your favorite uh side character well we've got a few blue hawaii holdovers that are returning in this film oh yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, let me get into that. Let's do that as we just haphazardly try to figure out the structure of this episode and jump around. Let's do it. So this movie ends with a big courtroom scene just like uh, Wild in the Country did. And the judge is played by Roland Winters, who played Elvis's dad, who we loved so much in Blue Hawaii. Ah. And the other dude from Blue Hawaii that's also in this movie is the, the guy at the bank where they try to get the loan, George is Howard McNear, who played Mr. Chapman, the guy who ran the travel agency. Ah. He's pretty much playing the same character. Yeah. 
So I figured, I was like, oh, this is just this guy's whole shtick. He, like, speaks and then, like, stops, starts sentences. And a little he's, bit like, neurotic, very... right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays it well, and it's sniveling, great. Sniveling, sniveling business exec, bit of a prude. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, two of those. We had Elvis's dad and then Elvis's boss returning in different roles. Why does Elvis's dad in this movie look familiar to me? All right, well, let's do him next. His name is Arthur O'Connell. Uh-huh. He's got... Uh, 140 acting credits. That's too many. He received Oscar nominations for Best Supporting Actor for both the 1955 film Picnic and the 1959 movie Anatomy of a Murder. Oh, cool. Classic. Yeah. Speaking of courtrooms, classic courtroom drama. Yeah. And he's going to make one future movie appearance in an Elvis movie. Oh, nice. And then he dies. Sad. (laughs) (laughs) Matt is like Matt is like had it up to here with my shenanigans in this episode. Like while he's speaking, I'm like making funny faces at him and fooling around with the microphone and he's just like really, really doing his best to keep it together, man. It's fine. Yeah. I blame it on the heat. Yeah. It's the heat's fault. Yep. Definitely not because you picked some fucking weirdo to be your podcast partner. This is your fault. <laughs> I make my bed. I lay in the bed that I made. Right. Is that the say? Is that how you was that the saying? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, make bed lay bed. Make lead bay. Whoops. Anyway, let's talk about the female character. There's two ladies in this. So the sister in this movie is ridiculously hot, and they talk a lot about her being like, she's like, oh, women are natural nesters, and they want to take care of things. He says that. Yeah, Elvis says that. He's like, Paul always says, and then she's all like, what are you talking about? And then, you know. There's this fucking part in this movie where he's like, well, look at right now. You look at you're setting things up for the kids and getting them taken care of and making sure they're all right and everything. And I, I remember stopping in this movie and being like, yeah, Elvis, because somebody needs to fucking look after the children because you two fucking assholes just want to sit around on the beach and play a little guitar while your dad sleeps in the goddamn hammock that probably your sister built for him. <laughs> yeah, the timeline is very, like, every time we cut back to their abode, it's, like, grown. There's, like, a whole other freaking floor to the house, and you're like, how are they pulling this off? Yeah, I remember thinking, like, as soon as they started settling on the little patch of sand, mm-hmm. like, immediately I was like, there's no fucking way they built that in, like, two hours. There's no way. I don't believe this movie. Yeah, this is movie magic at its finest. Yeah, pretty much. Ooh, so this girl is wearing a really great dress in this movie. Oh, yes. It's a blue dress. It's so fabulous. I just wanted to say. Nice blue dress. 10 out of 10. And that, you're talking of the, the sister who's not the sister. Yeah, this, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should have spec- like said, like, she's not actually related to Elvis, but it is still weird that Elvis wants to bang his stepsister or his, like, sister-in-law or whatever the heck she is. Well, he's doing the himbo thing where he's kind of just like, and she's like, no, 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 Elvis, come on. You want me. Yeah, that is true. He has a thing where he says... <laughs> Anytime, like, girls come on to him, he has to start doing his multiplication tables to, like, distract himself. Only if they turn him on. Sure. Right? So if he gets turned on by a lady, he's got one time one is one, one times two is two. Which I thought was kind of funny. Like, I, I liked that it kept recurring. Yeah, there's a lot of bits that recur. Yeah. Yeah, we should, I mean, we're jumping around. Usually we talk about, we do the plot synopsis, We did, which we did, but we didn't, like, break it down bit by bit. Yeah. I don't think we need to. And then we do the characters, but this... 
This episode is a hot mess already. Yeah. So. Okay. Elvis plays in this movie. There's a hot lady that plays in this movie. There's an old guy who was in Anatomy of a Murder. And then there's some gangsters. And then there's a guy from the government. And then there's a bank guy who was in the other Elvis movie, Blue Hawaii. And then there's like the weird bank guy's like underling who's got a real hard on for fishing. And he's like, oh my God. Yeah, no, isn't he the boss? He's the boss. I don't think he's the boss. There's the vice president, and he's not the vice president. The the sniveling baby boy is the vice president, and this guy is like an exec, like a senior exec or something. Right. He's not like the boss of the thing. He has to ask the vice president's permission to give out the loan, right? But like we can tell from their dynamic that technically he's the one who's yeah. like... He's in, in charge. charge. He wears Quote the unquote. pants, so to say. Sure. So yeah, like Elvis is fishing up a big old fish from the river and this guy comes up and he's like, oh my God, I'll pay you $20 to let me reel that fish in. And then he loses the fish and is like, haha, that was the greatest thing I've ever fucking done in my whole entire life. You should do this more often. And then Elvis is like, sure. And then they start doing like a fishing charter, except it's on the bridge. And, and then they eventually go to the bank to get a loan so they could build a dock and do it properly and have boats to take out and all this stuff. Yeah. And then Nikki Two Fingers wants to like bust up the docks and tries to set fire to stuff. And Elvis and his sister just keep like bumbling through, like fixing the situation by accident. It's just pretty fun. I like the whole part where they start to like rough up the business and make a lot of trouble. And then Elvis is like, well, I don't know how to do anything and blah, blah, blah. And I guess I'm the sheriff now because they elected him sheriff. And he's like beating up guys. But they're, he's like, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Holy geez, I feel real bad now. And there, it goes on for like 20 or 30 minutes where it's just like Elvis and company doing dumb, stupid stuff by accident that furthers the plot. And I thought that was kind of funny. Yes. The best part of it is that the gangsters get more and more exasperated and they're like, like, it can't be this dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, I think this is just the way yeah. this guy is. And they're like, no, man, this isn't right. And they like get really freaked out and they're just like, I yeah, can't they get really handle this. <laughs> they run away. And then they leave. I like that. That was fun. What else are we going to talk about? Let's go back to the characters, I guess. Yeah. And then we'll slot them in and we'll fill in more gaps in the plot. Okay. So the babysitter, the sister of their weird little makeshift family is played by Holly Jones. Nope, that's her character name. It's played by Anne Helm. <laughs> she plays Holly Jones. Uh, she's Canadian, born in Toronto. Huh. Grew up in St. Marguerite. She studied ballet with the National Ballet Guild of Canada when she was 12. And then at 14, she studied at the Metropolitan Opera Ballet School. Mm. Which is, when I read that, I was like, oh, I guess they didn't bother utilizing any of that in this movie yeah that's a shame uh she got 84 credits and hey it's that thing i told you was gonna happen she played princess helen in the magic sword from 1962 ah i see which came out the very same month and you know who else is in the magic sword the the hero of the magic sword it's gary lockwood who played that super big jerk that elvis accidentally kills in wild in the country oh shit the one who was also in 2001 a space odyssey as a uh, frank Poole. damn yeah it's all connected, man. Damn. It's almost like the industry is not as big as people think it is. Wah-wah-wee-woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else is there? So then the representative of the highway supervisor guy... Highway Patrol! ...is named Arthur King. He's played by Alan Hewitt. And Alan Hewitt had a pretty good 1962, because other than being in this movie... He played Dr. Gruber in That Touch of Mink, which is a classic Doris Day, uh, Cary Grant film is that that one where she's a nurse at his dentist office 
I will double check right now. I just know it because there was also a film called That Touch of Pink, which is a fun little queer rom-com where there's the ghost of Cary Grant played by Kyle MacLachlan who um, advises one of the characters in the movie. That's really funny. But That Touch of Mink, I don't think it's the one. No. Okay. That's fine. A dentist specifically? I think she might be a therapist. She works at a dentist's office and her boss is a dentist. And she's like an old spinster and he's like he's got this young hot girlfriend that she, that he told her he was getting a divorce and the young hot girlfriend won't continue dating him unless he introduces her to her uh, his ex-wife who doesn't exist and like get the okay from her to go ahead and date him so he gets his uh, lady at his dentist office to do it and then they fall in love oh damn i now want to know what that movie is because it sounds very familiar it's gonna bug me uh in- ingrid birdman is the is the lady this is podcasting folks this is this is how it's done um yeah ha i found it okay you were actually talking about the 1969 movie cactus flower yes yeah which stars uh walter Matthau, who of course there we go let's connect it to elvis he was the bad guy from king creole of course yeah um crap where were we we were talking about oh we're talking right sorry let's go back to alan hewitt i had uh another thing to say about him yeah he also played a character named rad rad leland in days of wine and roses which is a uh classic drama about alcoholism it's official I'm naming my son Rad, short for Radical. Sure. Radical Kegashange, at your service. That works. So he's, even though the plot synopsis says he's like the main antagonist, like I said, he kind of just goes away from the plot for a long time. Right. Yeah, he sure does. Yes. To help further his agenda of getting these people off this stretch of beach, he has... He uh, employs the, of, the use of a slut. I mean... Who has it in for Elvis Presley. Wants his big himbo thighs to crush her head. She definitely says like, Ooh, you got some nice legs on you. And like, whoa. You know, she's a slut because she drives a red Corvette and says, Elvis Presley, what do you think of when I say the word sex? <laughs> la la lilu. <laughs> yes. She's, like a, she's, she's an older woman. Uh, a master's degree in psychology, apparently. Though, take a guess. Once again, like most older women in Elvis movies, I think she's only a year older than Elvis. Who is she? Well, let me get into it. So her character's name is Alicia Claypool. That's slut. Uh, but she's played by Joanna Moore, who was in 1958's Touch of Evil. Hmm. I don't know if I've seen that one, actually. That's the one that has the like big opening long take of a dude putting a bomb in the trunk of a car, and then you like... Oh! Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I want to rewatch that. It's pretty astounding. Yeah. Hot take. Orson Welles, pretty good filmmaker. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. I'd give, I'm going to give Orson Welles eight mass hysteria caused by a radio show out of 10 mass hysteria caused by a radio show. Yes. That's what I'm going to give Orson Welles. Right. She plays Marsha Lineker in Touch of Evil, secondary part. And she's a slot. She goes up to Elvis and she's like, oh, Elvis, uh, meow, meow, moo, 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 and then Elvis is like, well, anyway, I gotta go, <laughs> and uh, the girl shows up and she's like, Toby, come help me do my 
things and get away from that harlot. And the girl's like, oh, that's when we get the Indian squaw joke. That was nice. Elvis is like, how did you find us? And the girl's like, well, I just followed you like this. And she's like, oh, he's pretty good at tracking. And then the lady is like, just like an Indian squaw. So we got to have that in this movie, which is nice. Yes. Um, and then she throws her into the water because she's like, I don't like being called a squad. She chucks her into the water, which was nice. And then the poop toilet explodes on her because the water pressure is bad. For the second time, that gag comes back, yeah. Then uh, they come back, like, for th- like they really didn't need the whole Nikki Two Fingers subplot. I don't know why I keep calling him that, but anyway. I, that, like, you keep calling him that, and I wish that was his character's name because he's yeah. just referred to as Nick, but I mean, he could be Nikki Two Fingers. Who yeah, knows? He's, we're going to call him Nikki Two Fingers. Like, that whole subplot didn't need to exist. It was a total fucking waste of time, even though I enjoyed the whole romp of, like, Elvis himboing through the the. He he takes out Nikki's guys, and then it escalates to the like, well, let, I'm, I've had it with you two bit mobsters. I'm gonna call in some professionals. He's like, get me Detroit, and then he calls yeah. Detroit to get some <laughs> some muscle. And then those guys, there's like a 20 minute long sequence where they're just running through the woods, and like Elvis is inadvertently playing psychological war games on them. Yeah, and they're just like, where is he? And then he's just like, I took you guys out. Yeah, so they they didn't need that. And like right after that subplot got wrapped up, the actual fucking plot of the movie came back. Yes, and the guys. Sh- uh, the lady, the slat, came to his house with the government boy and was like, we're taking away your kids. We're going to take your kids away and you'll never see them again and you have to be at court tomorrow morning. Yeah. And then they show up and, and they're like, that lady's a slut. And then they're like, we agree. And before that, though, um, in the courtroom, one of the reasons they cite for taking the kids away out of the house is that the girl that lives with them is not related, she's 19, and she's unmarried. Mm-hmm. And that's considered enough of an issue or like to be able to put on top of whatever other issues they're alleging is that her relationship is inappropriate because she's unmarried and unrelated to these people, which I thought was fucking wild. That's pretty weird. I thought that was really crazy to see like in a 1960s movie where you can just be like, yeah, she's unmarried and not related. That's just totally inappropriate. And that denotes that she's like a wayward woman and all this yeah, shit. Yeah, this is, how dare this be, this is not an environment to be bringing up children. Yeah. To see such, such scandalousness. You know, we talk about stuff on the podcast a lot about like how they represent women and stuff like this, but it's little things like this where, you know, the movie is not trying to make a statement about those things. They're just using the rhetoric of daily life in like whatever 19 fucking 60s area they live in and inserting that into the film and so it's through that that you get little glimpses of just how like fucked like sexism was back in the day and how little rights women really had that if you were unmarried you could you couldn't live in a household with a group of people if you were unmarried and not related to them and you you would have been seen as inappropriate as really like a skank and a harlot it's crazy strange just interesting interesting food for thought so anyway they go to the court and they're like blah 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 and they do a little psychology trick on the judge and then uh, elvis and company wins the case and then for no reason at all they fall in love at the end of the film him and his sister good old kentucky relations or i guess florida actually it makes sense it's set in florida that does make sense now for him and his sister to be like oh this is all right it'll be fine no offense, Florida, but you're a little bit 
kind of. I mean, yes, we could say we could be like, well, they're not related, but also she's been with the family since she was like, yeah, since she was like nine or some shit like that, like since she was like real young, and it's like, oh boy, you know, I get it. I get that. I get it. There's going to be like some fucking weirdos in the comment section who be like, actually, illegally saying blah, 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 and you don't have to blah, blah. And it's like, okay, yes, I, I understand. I'm just saying, you know, it's not a great look. <laughs> anyway. Um... Uh, let me talk about a fun little recurring <laughs> sight gag. Okay. That happens. So there's these two twin boys that are also part of this family. Yes. That were also just like taken in by the family after the folks passed away and they do a thing once again it's like the rule of threes they do it three times where they'll be handed a chocolate bar to share and then one of the twins will break it but they won't break it quite in half and then they'll be like it's not even so then he'll bite whatever is the longer piece to make it even and then give it and then they go like oh now it's better yeah even though he still gets more chocolate it's a fun little bit and they do it like three times i did love the gag yeah it's like at least give these kids something to do because otherwise (laughs) they're just kind of like there yeah, they don't have too much. There's that one part where there's the gambling den is getting really rowdy. Yeah. And the bank dude is over at their house and he's just like, man, they, what what the heck was all that noise? And then one of the, the twins says like, somebody got an eight. And then the other one goes, the hard way. Yeah, I did like that. That was fun. <laughs> yes. Okay, where do we go from here? Wait, oh my God. We, we didn't even talk about this lady. Like we talked about her character, but we didn't talk about her. Oh, right. Oh, well, we did. We started with, well, she was in Touch of Evil, but she was also the star. That was only a, like a tertiary role in Touch of Evil. She's the star of 1958's Monster on the Campus. Oh, is she the monster? No. Oh. <laughs> Matt, you sounded so disappointed in me. No. No. She wasn't Morgan. No. We actually brought up Monster on the Campus already. Oh, did we? Because we talked about it during our Blue Hawaii episode because Nancy Walters from Blue Hawaii, who was the teacher chaperoning the four teens. Yes. She was in Monster on the Campus. Oh, seems to be a lot of women in Monster on the Campus. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Maybe Monster on the Campus has a little something going on. Maybe you got to check it out. Got to see what Monster on the Campus is doing. (laughs) <laughs> why couldn't elvis have done a dumb b monster movie oh god wouldn't that be? i'm just like i just wish he had done horror movies i would love to watch some horror movies you know i can't believe there's not even like even like e- yeah even if we kept it like if we made it a campy scooby-doo episode but it's elvis like can you just picture this it'd still be great he could literally play the same character he plays in this where he's like he'll be fred he'll just yes, be like the dumb yeah. <laughs> god what could have been uh it's hard to, you know, it's hard to think about, right? What could have been mm-hmm. the Elvis we deserved? Maybe if he had gotten like older, they would have eventually like been like, all right, Elvis, there's no more work. The well's dried up. You're going to be in a B-horror movie franchise. I, I guarantee you too, they'd be like, Elvis is the killer. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to watch a movie where Elvis like is like stalking and killing women but he, in the meantime, he's like, <laughs> yeah, you just hear his 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 voice in the distance in the woods coming through. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, we got a bunch more characters. Nice. Tell us about them. I'm going to talk about yeah the the gangsters now. All right. So Nick, who we keep calling Nicky Two Fingers. Yeah. It's played by Simon Oakland, who is a very like prominent character actor i was like that guy i know him um the first thing that comes to mind is probably he's most famously remembered for playing dr fred richmond 
at the end of 1960s Psycho. It's the scene that everyone loves about Psycho where his character shows up and explains the entire plot of the movie. Right. Because in 1960, Hitchcock was like, I don't know if people are going to get what I was doing with Psycho. Right. And so he's like, don't you understand? It wasn't actually his mother. It was his mother. And like he just, it's, yeah, it sucks <laughs> as a scene, but he's fine. I like him as an actor. Yeah. Uh, and he just, you know, it was out of necessity for the, the time they needed to do this whole like stop the movie and just do a big explanation for all the people in the audience that didn't get it. Right. And he played Lieutenant Shrank in West Side Story, which came out the year before this. Hmm. Neat. And then his like main underling is named Carmine. Right. Another Canadian, Jack Crucian, born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Nice. Yeah. He actually received an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor for playing Dr. Dreyfus in The Apartment ah. from 1960 with Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Nice. Every movie I've mentioned here, so good. Is better than Elvis Presley movies. Yes. You know, we're making this podcast about Elvis, but we absolutely recommend doing anything but watching all 31 of his movies. We're doing the work so you don't have to, right? So you guys can just go ahead and watch all of the other movies that we talk about in this podcast because generally most of them are going to be way better than any Elvis movie that we've watched. Mm -hmm. It makes an easy structure and an easy launch pad on which to just go off and talk about everything else yeah talk about real good movies yeah just like uh looping back around to cape fear again because uh, jack crucian was also in that in 1962 all right I, oh yeah i didn't bring that up when i said this was 1962 and i made a point about the year this is the first year that had three elvis movies come out the same year that's too many that's just too many it's not going to be the last either there's actually going to be a run there where every year has like three elvis movies jesus which is just insanity. I feel like I feel like we're in like the heyday of Elvis movies. Like now we're in the peak mm -hmm. Elvis movie situation where like the general populace was like, "Oh my god, it's another Elvis movie. Let's go see the new Elvis movie." You know, stuff like that, right? And he is making bank. Yeah. He was like one of the top-grossing actors for a while there in the 60s. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. People just couldn't get enough for some reason. Yeah. Uh cool and then there's the two underlings the the under underlings of the mobsters there's three of them isn't there no no those are the dudes from detroit eh. they actually don't even have credits i know one of them was credited and i know that guy but the other two I, huh. they had like those mobster looking faces too where i could like oh these guys were probably cast as henchmen a lot yeah but there's al and blackie barry russo plays al he's got 82 credits lots of tv loads of tv so only 10 feature films actually huh. And same thing with the other guy who played Lackey, Robert Carricart. 115 credits, loads of TV, 27 films. But both of them would appear together in a movie in 1973's The Dawn is Dead. Oh. Uh, D-O-N, Dawn. It's like a mobster thing. Oh, so that's why I see. There's the connection there. Neat. Yeah. Neato Torpedo. Yeah. And... Okay, should I do this? Yeah, let's do this. Robert Carricart appeared in the 1964 movie Robin and the Seven Hoods. Okay. Which was I think, yeah. directed. And that's, yeah, that's a Rat Pack picture. Yep. With, you know, the whole shebang. Bunch of guys being dudes. Yes. Bunch of dudes being guys. It's a telling of Robin Hood, except it's Frank Sinatra and Sam Davis Jr. and the whole gang. And it's like present day, which was 1960s, like Vegas. So bad. Um, we don't recommend that one, actually. I don't recommend that one. I don't recommend anything with Frank Sinatra in it. 
I know you've. I was actually. I brought this up. I was talking about because I was editing Flaming Star, the episode of Flaming Star, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's that part where you're just like, that makes sense because I hear Frank Sinatra's a real piece of shit, and we also disparaged because uh, yeah. you know who else is who actually wasn't part of the Rat Pack but joined them for this movie, uh, Bing Crosby, who also is a piece of shit. He's a piece so, of shit. Yeah, also a piece of shit. Used to beat up. It's a shame because it's a. F- it's it's a fun movie, but it's not worth it. Nope, it's not uh, worth it. And like, let me be clear. Like, I don't know how much of a piece of shit Frank Sinatra was. It's just well understood that he was part of the criminal underbelly and society of Hollywood. So he had a lot going on. Like, a lot of it's like alleged, but like he was involved in gangs. He was involved in like paying off police officers. He had the LAPD in his pocket or maybe not the LAPD, I can't remember who it was, but he had, like, police officers in his pocket, and, like, there's a bunch of stuff. You know, um, do you know that movie with, uh, it was made in the 90s, it was a film noir. You're talking about L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential. So the guy that wrote that book, L.A. Confidential, his name is, uh... James Elroy, that's who it was. So James Elroy has actually written uh, quite a few books, um, and a lot of them talk about the seedy underbelly of Hollywood. And they mention a lot of different different scenarios and different things that happened and different cultural, like, you know, ideas and stuff. And one of the things that he talked about often was the general knowledge that most people had that Frank Sinatra was a fucking gangster and like allegedly like had to do with a lot, a lot of shady, shady, shady shit. A lot of shady shit. Yes. So he's a he's a bad boy. Him and Sammy Davis Jr. got in a lot of trouble apparently. Altogether though, the reason I brought up Robin and the Seven Hoods is because it's directed by Gordon Douglas who directed this movie. Yeah. That was supposed to be my roundabout transition to get to the director and the cinematographer and the writers because we didn't do that. Oh, right. We got to talk about the people who are responsible for making this movie. (laughs) Who's responsible for this? Um, So Gordon Douglas directed it. Okay. And he also directed, hey, look, another 50s creature feature, the classic giant ants movie from 1954. (laughs) It's called Them with an exclamation point giant ant movie yes giant ants are attacking people it's delightful oh my gosh that's so funny okay all right why ants why not something like spiders or eh, whatever spiders are dime a dozen you can have as many spider movies as you want but ants now that's where it's at okay (laughs) and he went on to direct in 1970 they call me mr tibbs oh which is the sequel to in the heat of the night with Sidney poitier i see and then the cinematographer for this. Yep. You probably didn't take note. I didn't. Leo Tover. I don't know who that is. If that name sounds familiar. It doesn't. If anyone's been listening to every single one of these episodes <laughs> and is keeping track of this shit, <laughs> he was the cinematographer on Love Me Tender. Oh. Which was the very first uh, Elvis film. Yeah. So he came back a few years later, and this time he gets to shoot it in color. Oh, yeah. I did want to bring that up. I through in our little drive did you see i liked there was two specific frames the compositions that i highlighted that i really loved because the colors and the overall like directing and the look of the movie is quite good tell us about them what do they look like describe them for our audience okay are you looking at them too though no nope. so, just so you oh describe can, can it can, can, okay tell us why these things matter justify your example i gotta paint the picture okay well there's 
a lot of good use of uh, foreground and background elements, really using the depth of frame, really using the widescreen of uh, the image. So there's a shot of Elvis and he's he's lying on his back and he's got the guitar on his back. And so you just see like the top of his head and his hair and he's talking to Holly and she's just like beside him. And then in the background, you've got like the palm tree and their, their little, this is early on in the film. So there's still their little makeshift lean-to that they've built up. Uh, and just like the sky is that perfect, like really clear, nice blue, except there's like some wisps of clouds, just like, it almost looks like, like a set or something, but you can tell this is like, these are all location shots. That's why it looks so good like this. Nice. And then right before, um, the welfare lady and the dude show up, Elvis has like a glass of milk and a sandwich and he's lying back on this. On, oh yeah, it's a boat that's that's turned over. So he's on the back of the boat, and he's got a bunch of life preservers as like a pillow. Yeah, and he's in the bottom left of the frame, and then you see them approaching in their cars uh, in the top right, and everything's in focus, and it's great. Nice to explain these things with words in our audio only podcast. <laughs> the list keeps climbing i'm just scrapping all of this we're gonna we scrap this entire episode at this point no don't leave it in it's sweating great. buckets over it's here good stuff 10 out of 10 the best episode we've ever made do we make money off this <laughs> is, is there monetization possible of this franchise i don't think so i don't want i don't want to bother this sounds like work we'll put it Let's on cds this. and sell it to people yeah <laughs> so it's a trench coat black market back alley dealings i'll sell them at like a farmer's market be like hello i sell paper and cute notebooks and i have 31 discs of a podcast series where i talk about elvis with this guy who talks about elvis and they're two dollars each <laughs> and the people will be like sold yes yeah now that's a deal the masses will be teaming you know um let's move on to the writer all right What's his name? Actually, what I should point out is that this movie was also made into a play. Yeah. A few years later. Okay. And that play was technically the first draft of this movie's script was written by a guy named Herman Roucher. Yeah, that's a bad name. But it's a guy named Charles Lederer that actually wrote this movie. Yeah, why? Well, let me tell you the other things he wrote that are better than this. Okay. His Girl Friday, 1940. Yeah. It's a classic screwball comedy. Fantastic. Nice. Righteous. Gentlemen prefer blondes. There's ah. a little uh, Marilyn Monroe connection. We haven't brought her up in a while. Nice. Uh, but unfortunately, we have to dip back into the world of the Rat Pack because just like Robin and the Seven Hoods, there was another movie they starred in, the original Ocean's Eleven oh. from 1960. He co-wrote that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, do you want me to talk about wardrobe people? You you know you no. like costumes. You want to talk about I'm costumes. Good. I don't want to talk about costumes. Costumes weren't that inspiring in this movie. They were kind of, you know. It's nobody... only weird because the two people that are credited for wardrobe barely made any movies. Yeah, that makes sense because the costumes in this movie are dumb. And this is the only time that their careers overlapped. One person, this was their debut doing wardrobe for films. And the other person, this was their before last film doing wardrobe for films. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's kind of cute, though. It's like senpai handing off the torch to the kohai. Sure. So the mm. Ruth Hancock is, Ooh. this was the, her debut. Oh, I have a feeling she, that maybe it wasn't. <laughs> only 12 credits. And then the other person is Sid Mintz, only 15 credits. Hmm. 
And the final film they worked on was 1964, Seven Days in May, a classic political thriller. Nice. <laughs> Do we have any final thoughts on Follow That Dream? Um, my final thoughts are... Mm, uh, they didn't need to have a toddler in this movie. I figured you thought that. Yeah, because other than the twins, there's an even there's a younger little girl. Yeah, who's just like, they just pick her up and put her down a couple of times. And then that, like, that's it. Yeah, she literally serves no function. They could have just had the twins. At least it wasn't a baby, though. It was an infant, but it wasn't a crying baby. Oh, uh, something I did want to touch on. It was really fun to watch a bunch of people pile into a fucking car and not put any seatbelts on. That was pretty wild. Oh, yeah, the big jalopy. Right? They, they drive in like the Beverly Hillbillies car, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So that was kind of... It's always interesting to see, like, uh, like especially how people treat, like, cars and vehicles and stuff. Like, that nobody wears a seatbelt. I don't even know if fucking seatbelts were invented yet. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, what about you, Matt? Final thoughts? Uh, yeah, this is just like a very middle-of-the-road thing. It was weird that it never committed hard enough to anything. Yeah. It had many plots, but it would just kind of like put them aside and then it was very unfocused in that way. Yeah, it flopped around a lot. I thought they were going to go harder on like some kind of love triangle. They didn't bother with that. No. In fact, yeah, in fact, the the girl was the villain. She like forced herself on Elvis and he was all like, and then she's all like, oh, I've been rejected. So now I'm going to take away the children from your family out yeah. of spite it's really messed up yeah uh do we want to, wait the re- the resolution though we didn't specify that her psychology test came back to bite her i really liked how they pulled like a trap card on her and it reversed i did like that too yeah that was fun where the, the she's all like the judge is like what did you what do you th- do you make of these findings and she's all like well this person yep they're unfit and he's like surprise that wasn't his answers those were my answers you're not even yeah. what kind of psychologist are you get out of here i'm throwing yeah. this whole thing out yeah yeah that was pretty fun that was good. i did like i did like that yeah that's pretty much it this yeah if you're gonna yeah there's many more elvis movies out there this isn't gonna be top of the recommendation pile <laughs> it's a weird one though I'm going to put it like, I'm going to, I'm going to put it above GI Blues, but below Blue Hawaii. Okay. Sure. Yeah. This was, and also I realized while listening back to the episode where we were doing uh, Wild in the, yeah, the end of Flaming Star, you're like, what's next? And I said, Wild in the Country. And all I knew about it was that it wasn't a Western, but I said it had something to do with like Elvis building a house that I was thinking of this movie. It turns out. Oh, I see. Um, I see. Okay. So, without, without further ado, let's. Uh, we'll Thank you, off. everyone, showing up to this movie. We're going to sign off. So, as we always say at the end of yeah. every episode, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you very, you very much. much.